Last week, who remembers what we talked about last week? Anyone? We talked about an endlessly creative God who can take anything horrible, anything terrible, anything ugly and horrendous and turn it into something beautiful. He took the persecution of the church and he made it strong. He took the, the dispersion of the church and the spreading of it to extend its reach. And he took Saul, who was a destroyer of the church, and turned him into Paul, a champion of the church. And he will take this current situation and redeem it because that's what our God, the Redeemer, does. So this past week, I'd like to know what beauty did you see? What beauty did you see this past week? How did you see God at work in your life and in the lives of those around you? How did you see him redeeming this situation this week in the past? Go ahead and share that in the comments. And today we are going to focus on uh, Acts 16, this one chapter of Acts. We've been reading through the book of Acts together. We have one week to go. Um, and, and Acts 16, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I hope you have with you. Uh, we're going to look at the three different stories from this chapter. And the focus really of today is to simply receive this snapshot of how the early church operated. It's almost like a, a day in the life of the early church. It's several days, but you get the idea. And we're namely going to look at Paul and Silas and company. This all takes place during Paul's second missionary journey. And this entire chapter is devoted to his ministry in Philippi. So we have Paul and his right-hand man, Silas. We have Timothy, who joins Paul and company on this ministry. Timothy, who we know quite a bit about because of Paul's letters to Timothy. And he's the first second generation Christian, which is really cool. His mom was a believer. Um, and so that's just kind of neat. And then also on this journey with Paul and company is Luke, our, our, the writer of this book of Acts, as well as the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we see the, the word we and us start to pop up here, which is pretty cool, indicating that Luke is firsthand experiencing these things, which is just kind of a neat little detail. So this whole gang, uh, kind of like these superstars of the church, though, you know, that, that you don't want to call them superstars. That's, that's bad. There's not like they're celebrities. But these like big deal people are traveling to Philippi. And we have the story of these three people of Lydia, a demon-possessed woman, and a jailer. So we're going to look at each of those in part, starting with Lydia in Acts 16, 13 through 15. So let's read that together, verses 13 through 15. And go ahead and write in the comments, if you would like, during this, what stands out to you as we read this. All right, Acts 16, 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And so we sat down and we spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, 
if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We'll go ahead and pause there for a minute. So what stood out to you there? Stands out to me is that Lydia, she's with this group of women and they gathered together outside of the city for prayer. See, in Philippi, there was no synagogue there. Uh, this is where the faithful met. And these women, they were God-fearers. That's a term that means they were, um, they were not Jewish, they were Gentile, but they believed and they worshiped God. But they had not yet heard of Jesus Christ. Now, something I love about this interaction is that Paul is very much following in Jesus's footsteps uh, and that Paul, he, he never allowed gender or cultural boundaries to keep him from preaching the good news, much like Jesus. So he's conversing with these women and he shares the good news with them. And Lydia, who's an influential merchant, she believed. So it says she's a seller of purple goods. Uh, purple goods, you see, that, that is an important detail because purple goods specifically cost a ton of money. And it, they were often sold to royalty, right? Purple being a sign of royalty. So she had quite a bit of wealth. And it's interesting, later on, we learn that she must have been quite generous with her wealth because the church of Philippi, it was known for being very generous to Paul and funding his missionary journeys. So the Lord opens her heart, and as Angie points out, says, pay attention. Opened her heart to pay attention. And then Paul shares the good news. And Lydia, well, she receives it. It's interesting how we learn that she receives it, though, because it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then it moves right on and says, and after she was baptized, it almost skips over her receiving it. Pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then after she was baptized, it goes on. As I think about that, it's almost as if, if we open our hearts and we are able to quiet the outside voice and pay attention to the good news of Christ, we can't help but truly believe it. It's kind of said here almost like a given. If you pay attention, if the Lord invites you to pay attention, you will receive and believe. That's interesting to me. What do you make of that? Do you think there's truth to that? Do you think there's something to that? That if we're able to quiet all those voices and really rest with the truth of God, that we can believe and receive it. So she believes. She believes Jesus is the Savior of the world. She believes that, it's, that he is the son of the very God that she worships. And she takes what she has learned and experienced, and then she shares it with her household, and all believe. The whole household is baptized. The household doesn't just include her family either. It includes any servants that would have lived or served there as well. And she was wealthy, meaning there were likely servants, servants who likely belonged to other families that could take this good news and share it with them. So in every essence, Lydia's house here becomes a house church. It's the center for mission and ministry in Philippi in the beginning of Christianity there. There may be no synagogue, but there is indeed now a church. And it's how the church is established in Philippi is through 
Lydia and her household. So as we pause, we consider Lydia. I'd love for you to jot this down. How do you see God at work in this story? This true telling of the church beginning in Philippi. I'd love to hear your answer. What can we take from this passage to apply to our lives today? A lot of times that's the pastor's job is to take the story and then apply it to our lives. But I honor and trust you all enough that you have such a good handle on this that God's revealed something to you that you think we can apply to our lives today. So I'm asking you to give me an assist in this sermon today. How can we apply that to our lives? Please share that in the comments or else this sermon will be a little incomplete. <laughs> oh, that's still hot. So moving on to the next story of our three today. Paul and Silas, they're going to the prayer meeting outside of the gates, but then they encounter a girl and she isn't just any girl, she is a slave, but not just any slave, but one of significant value because this slave girl was possessed by a demon of divination. And that demon told the girl secrets about other people's lives, which allowed her to make a fortune for her masters through fortune telling. So this girl, she follows Paul and company around for many days saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now keep in mind, this girl would have been well known in this town. Everyone would have known her and what she was about. And she's following these people around proclaiming this. So let's read how Paul and company handled this situation. We're going to pick up uh, from verse 18 of chapter 16 today. So she kept on doing this and saying this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love this a great line, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Or you could say immediately. That's a, a term meaning immediately. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them. They gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their seats in the stocks. So what stands out to you about this passage? I, I love how it starts off with Paul just becoming greatly annoyed. I love that line. Uh, I, I want to take a poll. Who here wishes you could command any strong annoyance you have in your life away like Paul did? Go ahead and say it now. Uh, confess now if you had the power what has been annoying you lately that you just wish you had the power to change? 
Uh, I think mine is um, right now, I already, you know, we watch Survivor on Wednesday nights. And so that's like the only time we really watch like live TV. And uh, it shows a lot of commercials. And I was already annoyed at commercials, but I really am annoyed with quarantine commercials. Oh, man, they're bad. There's a couple good ones. Geico's are actually pretty good, but the rest are just dreadful. You know, we're in this together. Yeah, we know we are. And then they're trying to manipulate you into buying their product like Toyotas or whatever. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, that is an annoyance I would love to change. What is your annoyance right now? You wish you just had the power to change. Now, why did this girl following him around annoy Paul so much? I mean, what the girl said was true. Uh, the problem was the source of her knowledge, it was a demon. You see, if Paul accepted the demon's words or allowed this to continue, he would appear to be linking the good news with demon-related activities. This would damage his message about Christ. You see, truth and evil, they, they don't mix. How many times does something seem so good, but when you look deeper, it's actually oh so bad? That's what this is. This poor girl had no control over her life. She wasn't just a slave to the masters. She was a slave to the demon in control of her. So Paul wasn't annoyed with her, but he was annoyed with the demon. She's following them around. And he also did not want people thinking that she was a part of their team. See, they would know who she was. And, and, and Jesus himself was accused of casting out demons by the means of demons. They don't want, they don't want the idea that demons are a part of Christianity uh, uh, to be known. Because that's not a thing. That's not true. They don't mix. In fact, Jesus came to free the oppressed and cast out demons. So that's what Paul here does. He commands the demon directly in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of the girl. He doesn't pray to God asking God to command the demon. No, he directly calls on the name of Jesus and addresses the demon himself. And what this does is show the same exact authority over demons that Jesus himself had. And that we know Jesus has given to his disciples. We write about that in Matthew 10 uh, during our bookmark challenge of Matthew, and it also happens in Luke 10 and elsewhere. And then we also read later on in the epistles about spiritual battles and that believers have authority over demons. Do you believe that? Uh, when you call upon the name of Jesus, you harness his power and authority, no longer your own. That's amazing. That's so amazing. It's really actually hard for us to believe. Um, but my hope is that you do believe it because when we pray, what do we say? We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray on his authority, not our own. His power, not our own. So the demon leaves. The masters are furious. They just lost their source of profit. She made him a lot of money in fortune telling, and that power is now gone. So they complain to the authorities and the crowd joins in and without ever even hearing the side of Paul and Silas and company, uh, the, the magistrates tear off their clothes and have them beaten with rods. 
rods were like these little bundles of like sticks or wood uh, tied together. They really bruised. They really hurt. And so they're beaten badly and then thrown in a prison. But consider again this girl who was demon-possessed. We don't hear from her again. But think again to what she was saying. She was professing the truth, even though it came from one of lies. So why would the demon want her to proclaim this truth over and over again over the course of several days? I suppose it's possible the demon was maybe seeking to mock them. But I don't know, because just as demons feared Jesus, remember that, you would think this demon would fear servants of the same God. Could it be? Could it be that the girl came to the knowledge of what she said by way of the demon, but it was her own decision and her own desire to be freed that caused her to cry out in desperation over and over again, seeing Paul as a servant of the one who can restore her and bring her freedom. Paul is, after all, not annoyed at the girl. He turns and directly addresses the spirit. He's greatly annoyed at the demon. And she's freed. She's freed. And the masters, they have no more use for her. Uh, for all hope of gain and profit was gone. So they shift their focus to Paul. Now, we don't know for sure what happens to her. But I don't believe God would waste a miracle for her, for her to go on living in captivity. See, the freedom she receives here, I believe, is threefold. Freedom from the demon, freemen from the masters who no longer had a use for her, and freedom from the sin of her life as she receives life abundant in Christ. I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination that Lydia and company knew who this girl was, knew of the miracle. I mean, that Paul and Silas were on their way to the prayer meeting after all when this happens, and that they took her in and she became a core part of the church in Philippi. I mean, think of the power of her testimony after all. Do you think that's a possibility? Or do you think that's far-fetched? And I also would love for you to consider the same question as before. Considering this free woman, how do you see God at work in this story? Please answer for us. What can we take from this passage today and apply it to our own lives? And as you're doing that, as you're sharing that, um, and I, as I see all the annoyances with commercials, I, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Solidarity. Let's move on to our third and final passage today. We already heard of the person we're talking about, the jailer, because it ends with the jailer called and commanded to keep Paul and Silas and company safely. And then receiving the order, he placed them in the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. So let's read uh, verse uh, 25 here. About midnight, remember Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I want to pause there. Consider this. Beaten, bruised, humiliated, battered, and chained up, they are praying and singing praises to God. And we sometimes say we don't feel like praying. Oh, man. 
But look at them. This is a beautiful glimpse of their faith. I wonder if they were thanking God for delivering the girl from the demon. Here's the beauty. The prisoners were listening to them. It's just another sign of faithfulness, blessing, and spreading to others. These two are faithfully singing and calling out to God, and the prisoners are listening to them. So let's continue um, on uh, to verse 34. And suddenly there's this great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul in silence. He brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's amazing. Uh, think of it. All the prisoners' bonds were unfastened, and yet no one leaves. If you are a prisoner, what do you long for the most but freedom? That's the one thing everyone wants, and their bonds were unfastened. The doors are open. Freedom is theirs for the taking, except perhaps now they heard something that was even more thrilling than freedom from chains, but rather they heard about the freedom from the chains of sin and death. They were captive by chains, but now they were captive by the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what kept them there. See, the jailer wakes and he sees everything that should be closed and shut down is wide open. That is a bad day for a jailer, okay? That is like the worst thing that could happen. It's so bad that he would rather face death than face the punishment from the magistrates. And yet Paul stops him. He yells out, he mentions, we are all here, all here, not just me and Silas, but we are all here. No one left the prison. And so what's the jailer's response? Is it to maintain job security and to close everything up and everything to put them back into chains? I mean, remember, he is deeply afraid of what was going to happen to him. He was afraid of the magistrates who commanded him to keep the prisoners safe. The magistrates he knows is cruel for they beat Paul and Silas. But now all sense of that fear is gone. He has a new fear. It's a healthy fear. It's a, it's a reverence for God, the God who shakes the foundations of the earth and frees the captives and changes lives. 
what does he say? He says, what must I do to be saved? The jailer realizes it wasn't the prisoners that needed saving, but him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, is what Paul says. You and your household, again showing one person's choices, may affect many. And now, the one who put chains on them, in turn, cleanses their wounds. That is beautiful. In fact, that is modeling the very Savior that he now follows, one who serves. The one who had total power over these men, the jailer, now gives up that power to serve. And then just as he is, just as he cleansed, Paul and company take him and his family and baptize them as a sign and seal of the everlasting promise of God, the ultimate cleansing they receive as the old life is gone and the new has come. And then what? He invites them over to his house. They feast and they rejoice together with an entire household that now believes in the one true God. That is beautiful. And then there's some talk between the leaders and the jailer. Uh, we, we're, we're not reading that passage. And, um, and Paul and Silas are allowed to be freed, but Paul wants to make it clear. Listen, we're Roman citizens. What you did to us was wrong. And the magistrates are afraid that they're going to cause a ruckus because they're like, oh, maybe we acted poorly. Um, so Paul makes them issue a public apology, which actually ensures that they would be treated well in Philippi uh, from here on out. And so uh, Paul and company, they finally get to speak. They share all that stuff. And then this section uh, begins just as it really ends. Sorry, Siri was trying to listen into uh, the message just now. Siri needs Jesus too, I guess. Uh, that's a good thing. Okay. Verse 40, it begins as it ends. So they went out of prison and they visited who? Oh, but Lydia. We remember Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. They went back to Lydia, the base of the church in Philippi. The, the church in Philippi that just gained several new members through the jailer and his family and also likely the other prisoners. So here's the same question as before. Considering this jailer and this account, how do you see God at work in this story? Answer for us, what can we take from this passage and apply to our lives right here and now today? As you're helping us out with that, I want to point out something pretty cool about this. We know Paul later on wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. It's the epistle Philippians. And the focus of that book is essentially to express his deep appreciation and affection for the church in Philippi. And here we see the very start of that church. Lydia and family, the freed woman, the jailer and family. So when you read Philippians, you can see uh, how much affection and love he has for these people. And when you read it, you now can see the personal connection here of what occurred. And this is just the beginning of that relationship. Just a cool little teaser for you all. When we wrap up our series in Acts next week, and whenever I return from paternity leave, uh, we're going to dive into Philippians. That's going to be our next series, diving into that, that letter one chapter a week. It's going to be uh, really cool. So keep this story in mind as we prepare to dive into that together. But consider this, Paul, 
Paul was brutally beaten in Philippi. Brutally beaten after not giving a chance to defend what he had done or get a chance to explain himself. But when he thinks of Philippi, what does he think about? See, the, the good was way above the bad. Even the bad, he knows, served a purpose for Paul and the mission of God because it brought the good news to the prison and the jailer and his family. Paul views Philippi as amazing, and he has an appreciation for it because of the church there. Despite the harshness of how he was treated there, the church was good to him and encouraging, and anyone who read the Bible knows there is a church in Philippi. It's a, it's a known thing. But that church didn't start with a building. It was built out of the good news of Christ taking root in real people's lives and their lives being transformed and then those people sharing that good news with others. And that is how the mission of God spreads. So what is it we can take away from these three stories? From Lydia, that small acts of faith, such as going out to pray, can bless the entire world. Small acts of faith can bless the world. First, it blessed her household. Then it built the church in Philippi. And that blessed Paul and his journeys and his mission spreads. And then later, the book of Philippians, the letter written to the Philippians, continues to bless the world because many, many, many people hold that letter dear as an encouragement to them in the faith. Small acts of faith can bless the world. What do we learn from the girl who is possessed and is now free? That truth cannot be mixed with deceit. They do not coexist. That evil and pure goodness do not mix. But what else do we see? That true freedom comes from Christ. And it can be found in Christ for her. It can be found in Christ for you and for me. And what do we learn from the jailer? We learn that we can have a fear of man or we can have fear or awe or reverence for God. And in him, we can experience unexpected mercy and grace and love and acceptance and then share that with others. Paul did that for the jailer. And Paul could extend that same mercy, grace, love, and acceptance because we know Paul experienced that himself from Jesus. He also experienced it from the disciples afterward. And once you experience that, you want everyone to experience that. Or at least we should. And that's what we all receive in Christ. So this is the question to leave you with. What have you experienced? What blessings have you received that are only from God? And how are you feeling compelled to share them today? In your life, uh, both from God and from God through his people, have you ever experienced amazing forgiveness? Have you been the recipient of incredible generosity, of undeserved love, of uplifting encouragement? Have you, re have you received freedom, freedom from chains of death, Freedom from the chains of addiction, 
or freedom from the chains of depression or sickness? Have you received healing, physical healing, or emotional healing? What blessings have you received from God, and how do you feel compelled to share them today? See, what we hold onto our, for ourselves, what we hold onto for ourselves, it will remain that same size. It may be a blessing, but it may remain that same size. But what we share with, other, with others, God multiplies. So what blessings has God given you that you can then release to others so that God may multiply it for his good and for his kingdom and for his mission to spread? Because one small act of faithfulness can bless the entire world. We see that in the church of Philippi. We see that still happening today. So may we all together be willing to share our blessings with all trusting that God is right now actively at work, moving his mission forward right now through you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you please pray with me? God, you are amazing. You are incredible. You are all loving and all caring and kind and compassionate and forgiving and just. You're the giver of all good things, Lord. And so we pause to give you thanks. We could never thank you enough, God, for even the very breath we breathe is a gift from you. Every beat of our heart is from you. And so thank you, Lord, for being the Lord and ruler over our lives. We give you thanks, God. We give you thanks that you meet us wherever we are and that one small act of faithfulness, of responding to you and your goodness, that you take that and you use it and multiply it and change the world. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. And God, we need to confess that a lot of times we will stand in the way of that happening. We confess that through our own laziness or sense of entitlement or unwillingness to share our selfishness or just our tiredness, that we don't always share our blessings with others. So God, we confess that now before you today. We confess the ways that we've allowed sin to stop us from living as we should uh, in abundance in you. We name that right now. We confess that, God, and we do that knowing that we have assurance in you, that you hear the prayers of an honest heart, and you forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive, for the work is done. It was done on the cross, and you have given us a way, a way free out of this. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the assurance of freedom that we have in you. We pray that we do not waste it, that we do not waste that gift. God, we now turn also our hearts to uh, just this neighborhood right here, Westwood, that you have called us to in Kalamazoo, Michigan. What a gift that you have called us here to be your hands and feet. We give you thanks for the blessing of this neighborhood. We pray for your abundance to be made known here, and we pray that you reveal to us the very tangible ways that we can share your love 
even in such a time as this. We do. We thank you for this church community, God. We thank you for Hope Church, that it is your church and that you are actively at work in and through the people that make up this place. I pray, God, for your abundant blessing and everyone listening right now, God, whether live or later on, I thank you, God, and I trust you will honor their small act of faithfulness of listening to your word today and that you will expand it and multiply it. Continue to heal this land world, or excuse me, heal this world, God. Heal this land as only you can and bring up your goodness through it all so that you will use this for the good of your kingdom and your purposes. Be near to those who are mourning. Be close to those who need your encouragement. Comfort those who are in distress. For you can and you do amazing things. We love you, God. And it's in power and the authority of Jesus' name that we pray together, saying, Amen.